Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The TalkSport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whether your business needs cars, vans, or larger commercial vehicles, you can rent from the best lineup in the UK with Enterprise. And with flexible long-term rental, you can get vehicles for as long as you need them, from minutes to months. Whatever the mission, Enterprise's mobility experts can build a bespoke solution to suit your business needs. Visit enterprise.co.uk forward slash business to find out more. This is TalkSport Daily. Hello, happy Monday, and welcome to another Andy Goldstein's Talksport Daily podcast with me, your host, with a stupid amount of hair. It really does look like I'm some kind of adult actor from the 80s, if you know what I mean, or 70s. Anyway, enough about that image that's now in your head. Get rid of it. Anyway, we start this podcast with the Sunday exclusive of Mark Saggers, Ray Houghton, and Danny Mills discussing the return of football and playing behind closed doors. Happened since I retired. People will say, you know, do, do you miss it? Um, and people will say, oh, we miss the camaraderie and the training ground and those sort of things. But one of the biggest things that I miss is when you're in the tunnel, you know, you, you look across at your opponent and then you walk out into the stadium and, and there's that cacophony of noise, whether you're being booed by away fans or whether you're being cheered by home fans. That's the moment, that's the switch where you switch on and suddenly it's right, okay game face is now on you know this this is where it gets serious you know you've, you've had a laugh and a joke in the warm-up maybe or in the dressing room but this is now what it's all about and when you haven't got that you know sometimes it, it's difficult when you haven't got those little cues you know in the last few minutes of a game where you need a bit of extra energy and, and someone throws the ball back and you've got to make a long run and you know the, the noise ramps up you know as the crowd cheer you on you draw a little bit of energy from that um, so yeah it, it's difficult for the majority of time I mean as a player and, and as a referee you ignore the crowd you don't really hear too much but those moments where you really need it you don't necessarily hear individual words but you feed off the crowd's emotion you know you, you feed off their sort of their anxieties and, and their tensions um, and you know you can make the most of that the tough one's going to be for fans because fans have been so yes. used to going to games when I got to Liverpool, I got on the train from Houston, mainly on a Sunday when we used to do matches. Uh, and I've seen lads on the train, Liverpool supporters going up, never missed a game in 26 years. It doesn't matter where it is, pre-season friendlies in America, they've been out there for it. Their, their whole life is planned around Liverpool matches. And all of a sudden now you're going to be telling fans, and it might be to the start of next year, where you can't go to matches. It's going to be tough, mm. for the, tough for the players, tough for the teams, of course. But for fans, which is their life, supporting their team. And now you're telling them they can't go to matches? It's going to be very, very difficult. Now we move on to the breakfast show with Alan Brazil and his co-host Ray Parner. The Romford Edson Arantes Donacimento. I think some people refer to him as. Anyway, this is a story about Ian Wright punching Steve Bruce. Mm, this sounds like one I want to listen to with some popcorn. Right, he was always trying up to mischief sometimes, wasn't he? I mean, oh, what character he was. 
Um, yeah, there was at each other's, you know, in, in those days as well, you could kick. You know, Steve Bruce was giving a few kicks from behind and right, he was reacting in the first half. And I think it come to a stage when they went, right, we'll have it half time. We'll have a, you know, a little punch up half time if you want. So I remember righty, because obviously the tunnel was right in the corner at Old Trafford. He, he, he ran off as soon as a half time whistle went, he was down the tunnel and he was waiting at the end of the tunnel. So Steve Bruce has walked down and, uh, he's gone, oh, and, and righty's give it all. Oh, Steve, come on. It's a game of football. You know, I'm, I'm trying to win for Arsenal. And Steve Bruce has dropped his arms and then he's went for him. And right, he went for Steve Bruce. Next minute, all the stewards have jumped in. It was a proper, a proper, you know, a proper brawl in, in the tunnel half time. And you know, that, that who was, that was right. Who did you get? Who did you get? Well, we had, we had, we had quite a few. I mean. No, who did you go for? Who did you target? Oh, uh, no, I didn't target no one else. <laughs> we, the stewards were in straight away, boof, uh, to stop it. But we had, we had a, a couple at Highbury as well. I remember playing Coventry City and righty, uh, one of the, we had John Artson on our side, Martin Keown. Oof, and it lumps. was, uh, they had Gary McAllister, Liam Daish. They had some big lumps as well. And it, you know how tight the tunnel is at Highbury? And the, the code word was kettle boiling. When the kettle's yeah. boiling, we're going to have a little, you know, a little scuffle up the sun. Oh, that's shocking. So you even had a name. I, yeah, I, I, yeah. Oh, and, and, and do you know what it was? And I always remember Martin Keown telling me he was just about to throw this punch <laughs> and the policeman was looking at him and he, he said, I had to follow through with it. And half time, believe it or not, we had all the police in our dressing room. George Graham was trying to do a team talk, and he, all the police were going around taking statements. What happened <laughs> in the tunnel? <laughs> so George was like, he, he was loving it because the togetherness, and we all stuck up for each other, and you know, he, George liked all that. But yeah, there was always scraps in certain games, wasn't there? Time to hear now from Katie Price's ex-husband Simon Jordan on the final word, alongside Danny Kelly. Oh, finally you put me in it. Yep, we do, Danny. It was about time. All right, well. It's the first podcast of the week. No, good point. Apology. Yeah, no problem. Anyway, here's Simon talking about, yep, you guessed it, player wage cuts. Ooh. Ooh, you'll edit that. You'll now, won't you? But I think we're now moving into territory where there's a distinct possibility, and, and it's not me just making clickbait media and broadcasting, I think there's a distinct possibility that with the manner in which this disease is manifesting itself and with the unlikelihood of a vaccine coming down the pike anytime soon and with the challenges about viral loads and how this disease sets up, that there's a distinct possibility that football may be facing, may be facing something resembling what happened in 1939. And it may not be, of course, for five or six years in the same way that the world wars were, but I do think there's a real challenge coming down for about a year, 18 months, where spectator sports and environments where protagonists cannot not come into contact with one another unless we're going to change the whole rules of football and put people in rubber suits and and, and not put them at risk, then ultimately I'm beginning to come into the mindset that not only are we facing a challenge about how it generates revenue from spectators, we are talking about the sustainability of our national sport. And it leads me to the conclusion, it leads me to the conclusion that if my theory is in some respects bordering upon half correct, then I think that 70 to 80% of these clubs in this country could very easily go bust. And we could have wow. a meltdown of football. They will come back in a different guise, but as they sit today, because of the model of football, because of the way it's been allowed to get out of control, and because of the climate that we've got now, which is players are not interested in involving themselves in any kind of solution, it is, it is despite the protestation from the industry itself and players and people outside the industry saying, why should they? It is a disgrace that the players don't want to take pay cuts. Of course, owners have got to take pain. Of course, the obligations of running football clubs involve you having to meet circumstances. But when you move into territory of exceptional situations, then there has to be a scenario where there is a 
a mutual uh, a mutual benefit um, uh, solution to problems. And the fact that people Luddites like Roy Keane come out and turn around and say players ain't got to do anything just evolves and and and, and crystallizes the ignorance. We are probably well, let, me, let me sorry, just say Roy Keane. I mean, he, what he said um, that people are entitled to do what they want with their own wages um, is right. But uh, uh, particularly as he said for clubs with billionaire owners, but those are only a handful. What he didn't uh, go and wasn't pressed on, as I would have pressed him. But Roy, how does that work for clubs where there isn't a billionaire owner? Because are you saying the players should cut off their noses to spite their face, insist on being paid full, fully up to the end of their contract, and then find there's no football clubs for them to go and play in at the end of that contract? Well, that has always it's, been it, the length of the elastic that you and I have been discussing, and it's not. I, I emphasise this point because it's an easy, cheap shot for someone to turn around and say players should take pay cuts. No, it's not about that. It's about the sustainability of the industry that gave you the opportunity in the first place. In, in adversity, you look to the situation and you look around you to say, OK, when it was going in one direction, we were all on board. When it's going in another, we're not anymore. And if you're looking at the scenario, I don't see, Danny, how a football league club's going to survive if there is no football club next year. How are half of the Premier League clubs, with the exceptions of the Manchester United's, the Liverpool's, the Arsenal's, the Chelsea's, the Man City's. What do we want? We only want clubs like Manchester City and, and Chelsea to survive because they've got Russian or Middle Eastern owners. So yeah. we have the Middle East, we have Saudi Arabia versus Russia as being our two versions of football in this country. We are, we are staring down the barrel of a real, real, real crisis in football. And it's interesting that Gary Neville said something uh, last week and I listened to Gary because he's got a great soapbox I don't agree with some of the things he says because I think he's still ensconced in the mindset of a player but when he talks about financing football is going to need a bailout Time to check in now with your weekend breakfast show and big Tony Cascarino discussing Roman Abramovich that's how you genuinely pronounce it not Roman Abramovich it's Roman Abramovich ask your mates Google it well I mean Google it would just come up with the spelling but I don't know how anyway doesn't matter Anyway, Cass was talking about the way the Russian has run the Blues over the last 17 years. He's always been first, he was, you know, with the NHS hospital being given him, you know, the hotel, Millennium Hotel to use. He's always been at the forefront of Chelsea's expectations. I think he's been an incredible owner for that football club. And to take a hit like he's prepared to, when we question many other billionaires... And I've got a friend who's a Spurs fan and he was talking about, you know, he's never really been a big fan of Roman Abramovich, even though he's a Spurs and Chelsea, you know, the rivalry. And I said, well, if he was manager or owner of your football club, you'd probably won five titles by now, you know, because yeah, he... And, yeah. and he has done the right thing in many ways. He handled the... Uh, you know, the way that Chelsea were given this embargo with money and the way the clubs dealt with it. I think he's, he's led that football club brilliantly and and he takes a lot of stick for his previous life or things that are meant to have done wrong I just think he, since he's come to these shores the way he's managed or owned that football club he's done exceptional doing it Now we can check in with uh, the Cobra no not the drink this is Carl Frotch fueling fire on his fueled that's not easy for me to say fueling fire on his fueled with Joe Calzaghe on Fight Night with Adam Catchell and Gareth A. Davis the show is on air Saturdays from 8pm. As said many times, I think I'd have knocked him out because I think I'd have been too much for him. Let's not forget what Robin Reed did to him. Split decision. And then, you know, I thought he won. I thought he won the fight. Hopkins was very, very close to beating him. I mean, that could, fight could have gone either way. Um, the, the old Roy Jones Jr. was well finished, you know, 
came close, took him the distance. So although although you can, if you're a Joe Calzaghe fan, you might as well call him Super Joe. And he was unbeaten in 46 fights, which is which is fair enough. But we can all be beaten, and he came very close a couple of times to losing. We can hear now from the former Newcastle midfielder Bobby Lee with Samuel Matterface, Jerry Groves, and Stu Stewpot Pierce. They're their real names. With a story about Kevin Keegan leaving during a game. I, I remember once when we would we'd actually won won the uh, championship in the Premier League, and we had four or five games to spare. We played Oxford at home, uh, and I think we were winning one 0 It was nil nil half time. You know, we got promoted the, the week before against Grimsby, um, so we'd been celebrating through the, through the week. And then Keegan wasn't happy at half time with drawing nil nil, and, and he said, "This doesn't improve. I'm, I'm going." And uh, we came in, won the game 2 nearly gone. So. <laughs> he said he went home, didn't he? He wasn't pleased with the way he played. Back now to big Tony Cascarino on the most intimidating away days on weekend breakfast. Well, there's a cafe around the corner from TalkSport. I mean, the old building, there was a car. Oh, my, there's a bloke that worked in there. Oh, I see, yeah. Intimidating away days as a footballer going to... Yeah, I get it now. In fifth place, I'm going to put Millwall because obviously I played at the old den and the Coblo Lane, which is incredible. Fans would always cross a line that they shouldn't at times at Millwall. But I played against them, Georgie, when I was playing for Aston Villa. And when you're an ex-player of a club, you always think, because I've done, you know, I've done really well there. I had a great time and one of the greatest periods of my football career. So when I came out, I got booed by the Millwall fans and there was chance of Judas. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, Wow. It really hit me. Number four was the weirdest derby of them all I played in, Georgie, because its yeah. distance was so huge. And it was Marseille against PSG. That atmosphere there was incredible. Being a Marseille player, from the moment you got on the at the hotel, going to the stadium and getting onto the pitch and being a Marseille player in an incredible atmosphere. It was just a derby that is so weird, Georgie, because it's separated by such a huge distance. There's big games in France. There's Saint-Étienne versus Marseille. But PSG, Marseille, and the, the Parisians and what they were like with Marseille fans was just incredible. Number three is the rivalry that was obviously from South London to East London was playing at Upton Park. I'd done a warm-up in front of the chicken run at West Ham one day. As I was warming up and I was in front of the chicken run, I could hear, Tone, Tone. And I wouldn't look round because I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to get some abuse here. Carried on warming up and it'd be, Tony, Tony, all in a nice way. Tone, Tone. And eventually I turned around to wave. And as I did, I got about 200 hand gestures from the fans in the chicken run, Georgie. And it was just like, it made me laugh, but it was like, wow. Number two is, if you were playing for either team, if you played for Rangers and you played for Celtic, you'd be saying the same thing about the opposition fans. You know, I was a Celtic player. I went to Ibrox. I scored at Ibrox. I was warming up down the touchline, getting on. And the stick I was getting, Georgie, was just incredible. And as much as we need to talk about the bigotry, the hatred, it is something that does make you feel very different as a player going on and in that atmosphere at Ibrox. Like Rangers players would feel it at Celtics Park. It was just ferocious. Number one was a country mile above everything I'd ever played and where I played. It was in Bursa in an international game for Republic of Ireland against Turkey. And of course, I got sent off in my last international game, Georgie, in Republic of Ireland. Ended up in a full-scale 
punch-up that I started and ended up being on the worst end of it, from players getting their punches in to fans punching me to a policeman hitting me over the head with a baton. It was just full-on. From the fans to the players to the everybody involved, it was eye-opening to experience something that was actually really, really scary and very dangerous. Back now to Stu Stupot Pierce, revealing who was the best centre-back he played with for England. I mean, my, my guess will be Tony Adams. He's my guess. I haven't heard it. Genuinely haven't heard it. My guess is Tony Adams. Let's hear it, shall we? For me, it would be Des Walker. Mm. Des Walker was the one Ian Wright never wanted to play against. He's a modern-day central defender. He was quick. Not, you know, what I don't think Des is about 5'11", but lightning quick. Mm. And Des was slightly different in those days. And... I, I rarely saw him have a bad game. And it, put it this way, not too many players get the opportunity to go and play in Italy. After the 1990 World Cup, Forrest turned £5 million down from Juventus for, for Des. And a year after that, he went to Sampdoria. So I think in 1990, he was the best central defender in the world. All right, listen, uh, I don't know if I was right or wrong because I'm just reading the links out. But my guess is, of course I was right. Genuinely don't know. Now, here's the best bits from my show, Andy Goldstein's Trans Europe Express, Sunday nights from 9pm. But let's start with Italy, and I'll stay with you, Mark, because I understand the Prime Minister, not long before we came on air tonight, came out and was speaking uh, about lots of things, including the possible return of Italian football. So where are we at? What was said? Yes, yeah, so this was uh, Prime Minister uh, Conte, n- not Antonio, even though he does like a similar um, amount of power, actually. But uh, Giuseppe uh, Conte, who's come out and spoken today about um, phase two um, of the lockdown in Italy, um, you know, in terms of trying to come out of what has been a horrendous situation uh, for the country, just in terms of what that means for for, for sport, it means that if you play an individual sport, you'll be able to start retraining on May the 1st. In terms of football, um, May the 4th will be when you're able to um, gather in, in sort of small uh, groups. And then from May the 18th, uh, a football team, for instance, will be able to get together um, and start preparing for the resumption of the Italian football season, which is now sort of scheduled to start um, around about June the first so um, maybe um, you know a, a little bit of light and what has been a very um, dark period for the country and we'll talk chaps about the fact that it's, it's about um, financials it's about football being able to continue in some sort of normality whenever it is able to pick up and clubs being able to financially uh, support themselves but I think what's really important to underline and we have underlined it before on Trans Europe Express but it's worth going back to the fact that people really have to have the desire to want to start again I think that's really as what has changed in, in Italy over the last couple of weeks the fact that players and to a lesser extent fans have started to come round to the fact, have started to get on board with the idea that it can actually happen. There's some sort of unanimous feeling that they can go on now. And, um, you know, that hasn't been the case in in some other leagues. I think that's been pretty clear. It's been interesting in Spain and France this week. I mean, we'll go on to talk about the possible resumption in Germany at the moment. But in France and Spain, the difficulty they've got at the moment 
is the players aren't convinced of the plan that the authorities have to go forward. Like France has um, a date, for example. It has June 17 when they're intending to go back after they should have three weeks of training beforehand. But at the moment, there are more and more players breaking cover to say, we don't believe that our safety is fully guaranteed yet. And until that is properly addressed, then those leagues have an issue. Well, that's it, another podcast done and dusted. A reminder, of course, you can download previous ones from ACAR, Spotify, and Apple Pods, or future ones from, well, I've just told you where. Uh, and also, your second reminder on Drive Time today, that's Monday, Adrian Durham and Goffey, Darren Goff, will also be speaking to the Bournemouth manager, Eddie Howe, the Watford chairman, Scott Duxbury, Gordon Strachan, and Hollywood legend and heartthrob, Tom Cruise. I made that last bit up. So make sure you join Goffey and Aid from 4 pm today. That's it. Thanks so much for listening. I'm back tonight, of course, from 10 p.m. with the Sports Bar first one of the week. So make sure you join me and Moonface. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Have a great day. Be safe, everyone. Be safe. That was a podcast from Talk Sport. The Talk Sport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whatever your mission, home or away, don't delay. Enterprise has the vehicle for the job. Rent from the best lineup in the UK. With over 450 branches, Enterprise has what your business needs. From compact three-door cars to spacious SUVs and people carriers to vans, they offer a large range of reliable vehicles perfect for the job. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.